0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1352 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Saturday evening. It's November the 19th. Today's episode is brought to you by PrizePix. First-time users get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. That is prizepicks.com's promo code Locked On. Today's episode is going to be getting into a lot of different topics. Very sort of jam-packed episode on this Saturday between John Collins' rumors that transpired over the weekend, the latest on Bogdanovich, and then uh, as the headliner of the night, the Hawks getting a overtime win over the Toronto Raptors down at State Farm Arena. I was in the building for this one. It was a 124-122 back and forth. The Hawks were trailing for the majority of the game. Not the entire game, but certainly the majority of it. Came back to tie it in the fourth quarter. Took uh, a chances to win the game at different times. They had a chance to lose it in regulation at the very end. And then uh, some heroics from A.J. Griffin at the end, including the, uh, the walk-off winner in a tie game. Trey Young finds him in a perfectly executed Um, full court actually after timeout play for the Hawks to kind of Go in there and escape with a victory over a shorthanded Raptors team. So, we'll get into all of it as we always do, but certainly a lot of back and forth here, lots of stuff to get through. And, uh, big picture, a nice win for the Hawks as they improve to 10 and 6 on the season, as well as a 6 and 3 record at State Farm Arena. So, we'll dive in now. Some pregame context to touch on quickly. Both teams had two days off coming into the night. The Raptors and Hawks had almost identical records as well. Toronto at 9 and 7, Hawks at 9 and 6 coming into the night. Of course, the Raptors blitzed the Hawks by 30 points up in Toronto earlier this season, and they are a very good team in certain ways. They're very different and kind of challenging to play against. They, they create a lot of havoc on both ends of the floor. They are small in some ways, also big in some ways. They play a lot of 6'8", like, 6'9", six, six, guys, and it makes life difficult on a lot of different players. Trey Young was terrible the first time around, and he was much better in this game for reference point. And um, long story short, the Hawks were actually favored in this game by five and a half points. Their largest favorite status since the fifth game of the season. So basically the Hawks went 10 games without being favored by more than four and a half points. And that actually changed tonight. And they were able to hold serve. They did not cover, of course. They only went one by two. But the Hawks were actually favored by six points or more in all the first five games. There was a lot more difficult sledding since then. But part of that was because Toronto was missing six of their top 11 players in this one. Now, Toronto is a team that's very capable of overplaying their baseline. They're very well coached. They play very few guys already. They play kind of a short rotation. They were without Pascal Siakam, who's their best player, Gary Trent, Precious Achua, Chris Boucher, Otto Porter, and Delano Banton. Now, uh, you know, Yakum and Trent are starters for them. Achua is a good player as well. But it wasn't like they were without their, their, their top six players. It was six of the top 11. But they were they had, like, basically their number three or maybe even number two through uh, – actually, definitively, number two through five players available in this game with regard to uh, Ananobi and Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes. So they did have some players available that were all quite good. At the same time, the Hawks were supposed to win this game, quote-unquote, and they managed to escape with that victory, but it was not easy along the way. As for the Hawks, quickly here, the only player that was out in this game was Bogdanovich, but I have one thing that I wanted to play you actually from Friday as I speak to how jam-packed this episode is going to be. Um, I wouldn't call it an update. But McMillan was asked at practice on Friday about bogey's progress by Lauren Williams of the AJC. You're going to hear her voice in a second. I'm going to play the, the question and the answer for you on both video and audio. And uh, actually, it's not going to be video, just more of a, a background screen. But you'll actually get to hear Nate. Apologies for the uh, practice level uh, background noise, the bouncing of balls, things like that. But uh, yeah, long story short, here is the latest quote unquote update from McMillan on Bogdanovich. I know Bogey, when he does eventually come back, will inject some offense into this team, especially from the three-point line. But, you know, how much time will you give him or is expected for him to adjust and get into game shape? It's too early for that. Uh, you know, once he gets back to, uh, gets close to playing, or well, let's just say when he returns, uh, then uh, I will talk with uh, Bogey and our trainers about, you know, his... Uh, Uh, the number of minutes that he can play at that time, but it's it's really too early for that. What's the update on him? He's uh, still moving, uh, rehabbing, and getting up a lot of shots. All right, so that was it. You heard it. The full quote, the full answer (laughs) on his actual progress in the follow-up question from Warren Williams was, and I quote, he's still moving, rehabbing, and getting up a lot of shots, end quote. Uh, so, everybody that is always asking me for updates on Bogdanovich, that's all we know right now. No timeline still, and I want to at least give you that audio, but uh, that's kind of a funny, uh, very, very short non answer, and I'm still no timeline or anything official at all from the Hawks on Bogey. Okay, to the game itself the Hawks, it was kind of uneven all the way through for Atlanta, and really offensively, it was kind of a struggle the entire night. Um, if, there was kind of some funny fireworks at the very beginning. The Hawks blocked two shots in the first minute or so. Trey Young blocked a shot and led to a layup in the first minute, which is kind of interesting. He was actually defending the quote unquote center for the Raptors. Wancho uh, uh AKA Bo Cruz from the, uh, from the movies, if you watch that movie. But uh, Trey was guarding a center, which not, does not usually happen. And Wancho's not really a center. He's more of a four, but still it was uh, one of those qu- weird quirks of a, of a game where they were trying to hide Trey and actually kind of worked on Gomez. But, a couple turnovers early on. That was the problem in the first half. They were leading out of the gate 11 to 6. Trey had a brilliant re- reverse layup. Capella was playing around on the glass, and then Murray hit a top of the key three pointer. Uh, Capella got switched on to OG Ananobi and actually held up beautifully. Forced a catch a contested jump shot that he actually missed. Capella in switches was great all night. On paper, Toronto was not a matchup that Capella should be excelling against. Now, obviously, he's bigger than a lot of guys on the Raptors, but because they switched so much and because they are playing so small, it's kind of a challenge for him, but he was really, really good in this game. Rotationally, it was pretty normal in the first half, and it changed after halftime. So we'll probably come back to this later on, but um, in general, it's been the Aaron Holiday for Trey Young early sub in the first quarter for a few minutes, and then they bring uh, Trey back in. That all happened in this game. It was it was a nine-man rotation in the first half, Aaron Holiday and Jalen Johnson, along with, of course, Okongwu and AJ Griffin, who's been playing in every game recently, as he should at this point. Um, in the second half, though, spoiler alert, the Hawks only played eight guys in the second half, and none of them were Aaron Holiday or Jalen Johnson. They actually, after not playing at all in the first half, they put Justin Holiday in there in the second half, at least for some brief, some brief stints, and they played very short, especially when John Collins fouled out in the fourth quarter. Anyway, um, Trey had sort of had it going more in this game. He had been struggling pretty violently with his shot all year long. One game does not fix that but Trey was much more efficient, had his floater going in this one. He had a great one over the outstretched arms of Christian Coloco, who's like a Um, seven-footer. It was a great sort of vintage play by Trey. Um, A.J. was really good. I thought he had had a three early on, had a nice deflection that led to a fast break. Um, Aaron Holiday actually kind of had a pretty funny mispossession before that. He he dribbled around forever, missed Griffin a few times and turned the ball over. But uh, that three by A.J. actually gave the Hawks their biggest run of the game early on anyway. It was a 7-0 run, gave the Hawks a seven-point lead, but then things kind of spiraled out of control at the end of the first quarter. It was an 11-2 run by the Raptors, including a three by Scotty Barnes at the very, very end to give Toronto the lead back. And offensively, it was pretty gross. A 104 offensive rating in the first quarter. Defensively, they were solid throughout the night, and it wasn't perfect necessarily, but they played quality defense for the vast majority of the game. Um, still, that late run in the first quarter Became a extended 22 to 6 overall run to go from down, sorry, from up seven to down by nine between the end of the first and the beginning of the second quarters. That's not what you want in a game where you are solidly the favorite and playing at home. Um, there were nice layups from Murray and Griffin to stop the run, but Atlanta was just missing everything. At that point, after like the first f- 15 minutes of the game, the Hawks were four of 16 on shots outside of four feet. So basically anything away from the rim, they could not make it. And they had eight turnovers in that point. So that, that combination of bad shooting on the perimeter and turnovers is kind of untenable against this Raptors team in particular. The Hawks did kind of wake up from there. Murray had a nice self graded basket. Trey kind of started finding a little bit more in the corners. Actually, there was a play where Trey probably should have shot a catch-and-shoot three in the corner, but ended up, up faking getting into the, the rim and scoring. And then he threw a beautiful like 50-feet level pass from him to Collins for a dunk in transition. Um, that run happened, by the way, with the Stars back on the floor. And in general, in this game, the bench kind of got rocked. AJ Griffin was obviously a standout in this one, as we'll come back to later on. But the rest of the bench, um, especially Holiday and Johnson, who maybe not coincidentally got pulled after the first half, those guys were pretty bad in the first half of this game. And then even Capella versus Kongwu, Aneka was fine, but Capella was definitely sort of a different level above Akongwu in this game across the board. The Hawks did come back to tie it with about 90 seconds left in the first half. But uh, nothing went well in the final minute and a half of the second quarter. The Raptors scored the next four points. Then Trey got a technical foul, kicking his leg out on a three-point attempt. Um, that was a questionable call, to be sure. And Nate McMillan was outraged. Got a technical foul right away for that. Um, he went pretty nuts by his standards, actually. I don't really blame him for, for reacting to it. It was right, right in front of the Hawks' bench. Controversial call. And then the Hawks had called for goaltending at the buzzer. So it was a 7-0 run in like 75 seconds for the Raptors at the end of the, at the end of the half um that doesn't necessarily explain this isn't gonna explain it but i think also i would look into tweaking the rotation a little bit nate's been kind of resting or benching or however you want to say that sitting jante murray in the last like two two and a half minutes of the first half every game or at least most games that's not something that i love it's kind of just an odd thing like a guy like murray who's not like a superstar but certainly is a star level player uh, him sitting like that at the end of the first half is not a normal situation. I'm not sure if it's a rotational tweak or maybe something like they're, they're trying to rest him or something like that. But it's a uh, maybe a minutes kind of li- not necessarily limit, but they're trying to avoid minutes. Whatever it is, I don't love that setup and kind of it kind of bit them there at the end of that first half. They were down seven at the at the, at the halftime break, and the offense was the problem as it was for the majority of the game. They did 102 offensive rating in the first half and 10 turnovers. Circle that 10 turnovers. That's what the Hawks should be having in a full game. Basically, they average about 12 per game. So that was uh, really, really rough. Now, spoiler alert, it got a lot better in the second half. That's one of the reasons why the Hawks won this game is because they stopped kicking them all around. After 10 in turnovers in the first half, they only had five in the second half, and that includes overtime. So that is uh, something to certainly circle and come back to. Um, other than that, on the offensive end of the floor, I thought Hunter struggled pretty notably in the first half. He was actually 0-7 from the floor, 0-3 on mid oh 0-2 at the rim, 0-2 from three. Just didn't have anything going. He was better after halftime as well. And the defense was largely fine the entire time, but the Hawks just kind of lost obsession possession battle because they kept turning the ball over. And uh, once again, that was something they definitely improved on after halftime. All right, with all of that said, we'll come back to, to talk, talk about the second half, talk about John Collins, talk about takeaways from this game, et cetera, look ahead to the future and more. But first, a word from our sponsors on the podcast today. Today's show is brought to you by BetterHelp, and unfortunately, life does not come with a user manual, so when things are not working out as planned, it's totally normal to actually feel stuck. Navigating any of life's challenges can make you unsure of things, whether it's a change in your career, a new relationship, becoming a parent, or something totally different. Therapists are trained, and they really help you to figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn skills that are productive in coping with what's happening in your life. That makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex engine that you are. BetterHelp can bring self-empowerment, help you deal with the challenges of life, whether it's trauma or so- Still be feeling overwhelmed as the world's largest therapy service BetterHelp has matched more than 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online plus it's affordable fill out a brief questionnaire and match with a the therapist today and if things are not clicking you can easily switch that to a new therapist anytime it could not be any simpler no waiting rooms no traffic no endless searching for for the right therapist learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com locked on nba that is BetterHelp, better help better h-e-l-p.com locked on nba so right away in the third quarter, things were better for the Hawks. It was a 13-4 to 4 run, out of the gate, take the lead. Trey and DeJounte had four points in a row each uh, inside the arc, and then Trey hit a deep three, uh, sort of in pull-up fashion. It's, again, he had a pretty good game in this one for the first time in a while. They did stagnate after that offensively, only had three points in about four minutes after that initial barrage. They had a nice design play, actually, against Toronto Zone that got Collins set up against Van Vliet, and he drove right through him for two free throws. That's the kind of thing that when people ask what the Hawks should be doing to get Collins more touches, that's one of the reasons and one of the uh, good examples of that. I also didn't do a lot of that in this game. Collins was pretty quiet on offense, but that was a good design from Nate. And they also got a nice uh, ATO play to get Hunter a layup, kind of soft the bleeding after that. Um, that sort of, not, not necessarily scoreless stretch, but certainly scoring scoring-challenged Stretch. I mentioned the rotation tweaks. Uh, it's normally Aaron Holiday coming in, in the third quarter for Trey. They did not do that, and I with my antenna was up there. It was A.J. Griffin off the bench first, and then it was Justin Holiday later on. They played Hunter at the four extensively. In fact, they ended up closing the game in the overtime period with Hunter at the four because Collins fouled out in the fourth quarter. And that is an option. You know, some people have been asking this question as well. Like what happens if Jalen Johnson struggles uh, on Tower Jones for the podcast, brought that up. Like how long are they going to keep playing Jalen? I think they're going to keep trying Jalen. He has been struggling on some level and he is not a winning player right now. I don't think because he, you know, he's still young. I'm not bailing on Jalen Johnson, but I think if they're trying to win in the short term, Jalen is not pr- probably helping them a ton right now. Uh, but the problem is they don't really have a lot of options. And basically the only one sans Collins um, is if they don't, if they don't want to use J-1, it's basically to go to Hunter at the four. And Hunter has some challenges at the four. He does it does help the offense sometimes, especially if you're going to play Griffin. That closing lineup tonight without Collins of Griffin and Hunter um, is doable but the problem is you don't really rebound with that group as we kind of saw in that overtime period you also don't defend all that well with that group because griffin is still a rookie hunter while fine defensively actually probably better than that defensively but at the four a little bit of a weird situation for him you're pretty small etc so there's pluses and minuses there but if you're wondering why uh, jalen didn't play in the second half i should say and why there was so much of hunter at the four is because you know jalen is not really helping them he was pretty bad in the first half of this game and then once collins fouled out that's kind of the only option they have is to go to hunter at the four they used a challenge, Nate did, in the final minute of the third quarter, actually the, the, the correct operation there. Now, it did bite them a little bit later on, as we'll come back to, but um, it was the correct one. He won it. It wasn't a huge leverage play, but it, it did avoid free throws. So that was at least a winning, kind of take a potential of two points off the board challenge for McMillan. At the very end of the game, though, um, and this is one of those kind of flawed rules in the NBA. You only get one challenge, and because even with Nate winning it, they didn't have another one. And the Hawks actually would have probably gotten a play overturn in the end of the fourth quarter. But that's kind of why Nate maybe holds his challenges most of the time. But they won one here. Nice play later in the third quarter, actually, from Trey to find Hunter for a dunk. But they were still down by seven. And they basically played dead even basketball in the third quarter. Uh, still good, um, generally speaking, on defense. And they were better on offense in the third quarter. But the, uh, Toronto only had one turnover in that, four, in that third quarter overall and uh, sort of outpossessioned them for the most part. Also, the Hawks only took 13 threes in the first three quarters. That is a comically low figure. Now, they took they took 12 after that in the overtime and the fourth quarter, which is better. But uh, certainly, that three-point volume is not uh, an issue that's not <laughs> going away at this point. Again, only played eight guys in the entire second half. Um, one of the things that's weird about that, like only playing eight guys is totally normal. But when one of the eight guys has not played in the first half, it's a little bit stranger that's one at least something to want to point out to, you, especially because Nate's talked about not experimenting. That's kind of an experimental kind of thing there. Um, it was a roller coaster day from Justin Holiday. He was not fantastic. He did bank in a three, but had a shot blocked once on a play where, um, to be fair to him, Dejounte Murray threw him the ball in a situation where, like, you don't really want Justin Holiday trying to like go full speed to the rim. That happened in that spot. Defensively, he was fine. He just did. He got he got up five shots, uh, made two of them, made, made a three, had a shot blocked at the rim, which was that play from that I talked about with Murray a second ago. Had a bad turnover. So. Definitely up and down, but they trust him more on defense, I think, especially, than Jalen. So that's kind of the end of that. Um, when they brought Trey back in with nine minutes to go down by five, it was a signal to me anyway that Nate was definitely trying to like win this one, not necessarily at all costs, but trying to put the, the pedal to the floor a little bit. That ended up working out for them pretty well. They got a free point from technical foul from Scotty Barnes that was uh, helpful at the end of this game. A big call with like 640 left, though, was Collins drew a charge on OG Ananobi. He played it perfectly. It was called a block. Uh, The entire arena did not like that call. I know Twitter did not like that call either. I agree. I think it was certainly a charge. Now, it wasn't like the worst call I've ever seen or anything like that, but it was certainly not one that was favorable to the Hawks. Nate had already used his challenge, so there was no option there. That became a three-point play and, and the fifth foul on Collins. And while people sort of uh, pushed back on Collins this year, I think kind of sillily uh, in a lot of different ways, um, you know, that was a big one, not only because of the scoreboard, because it was his fifth foul and he later would foul out on his sixth foul moments later. And with all that happening, the Hawks were down by nine with like six minutes to go. So they they went back to Capella. So finally, the starters went in there with like, you know, five and a half, six minutes to go down by nine. And you are an underdog at that point. No matter what the situation is against any team in the NBA, if you're down nine with five and a half minutes to go, you are not favored, even at home, against a team that you're probably better than with the with their current personnel. Uh, Collins fouls out with 440 to go. And unlike his fifth foul, this sixth foul actually was a foul. But it was a smart play, um, sort of independent of the foul trouble that he had. It saved a dunk from Christian Coloco, and after that, Coloco missed both free throws. That was actually a huge swing um, that was very helpful for the Hawks, as well as getting free Chick-fil-A for the masses at State Farm Arena. But uh, yeah, as I said before, they went to Hunter at the four, as they kind of had to at that point. And after that, it was kind of all Hawks. The rest of the regulation period, Trey made a floater. They had a chance to get to three briefly, and actually got back to eight at one point. Um, fortunately, Capella made a couple of awesome defensive players at the rim. Um, Hunter then drove the defense. That was good to see. They were down by eight with two thirty to go, though, because um, after AJ missed a three, the Raptors got a transition play that was three point play and uh, to go by again eight with two and a half minutes to go. There was a really bad. Defensive moment for Trey Young on that play. Now, Trey is kind of famously bad in uh, transition defensively. And on top of everything else, that was a moment where he was certainly uh, standing out in that way. And down eight with 230 to go it was pretty rough sledding. Now, next possession, Hunter hits a three. Nice pass by Trey to set it up. And then the Raptors had an offensive foul near the half court line to get give, give the Hawks the ball back. And then Trey hits a three. So that sequence of three, foul, three was massive to go from eight to two. And they did it in like 30 seconds. That was the huge blow they kind of had to have to get to get back in the control of the game. And then they blew it off the uh, defensive rebound in the next play, but they had two stops in a row, and Hunter had a fantastic box out on Christian Coloco. Now, I'm hard on Hunter for his rebounding, and he is not a good rebounder at all for the three, much less the four, but he had a great box out there on Coloco to draw a foul. Uh, drew the over-the-back call, went to the line, made both to tie the game with 130 remaining. Now, they got a stop from there. Trey pushed the tempo, uh, got to the line again, and the Hawks were leading. So, basically... That became like a 10-0 run in a short period of time, like a minute and a half to go from down eight to up two. A massive swing in their favor. A pretty questionable foul foul call on Hunter on the next play against Ananobi at the rim. OG made both to tie the game. And then Trey missed a pretty tough floater that he definitely makes sometimes, but it was definitely a tough shot. Um, Trey – sorry, Toronto tried to push it a little bit. Actually, a pretty good defensive play by Trey to be pesky against Barnes. That was the play that I mentioned earlier that I thought was probably – off of Barnes, and the hawks just couldn't challenge it and with the new rules in place uh it's not an automatic review like you have to have a challenge to actually have that play challenged. i think the hawks probably would have won that challenge if they were able to do it that ended up being a a big swing because um well at least it could have (laughs) been i'll say this the hawks dodged a massive bullet at the end of the first uh sorry at the end of regulation um Murray allowed an offensive rebound. that was a pretty bad play by him, actually. And then Scotty Barnes missed what I would describe as two bunnies slash layups in the final three seconds of the game. First one was on the drive. He misses it, gets the, tip, the, the, the potential tip in, tap back, however you, how you want to say that, and misses again. So that was very lucky. Not only did the Hawks erase an eight-point deficit with two and a half minutes to go, they also were in a tie game. Raptors ball at the end with two shots that I would say Barnes makes at least one of those two shots 90% of the time, maybe even higher. So the Hawks easily could have lost this game in regulation. So it takes some good fortune always, but that was certainly one that they were uh, thankful for at the end of this one. But I will say defensively, they held the Raptors to 35% shooting in the fourth quarter. Um, They did a good job overall, and then we'll dive into the overtime period now. So they traded some baskets for the most part. Capella had a great possession against, against Barnes one-on-one defensively and drew offensive foul. He was so key defensively in switching and playing against Ananobi and Barnes in space. Not always Capella's absolute best thing, but he was really good in this game on that. And then Edgy Griffin kind of took over the game a little bit. He had six points in the – six of the first seven in, for the Hawks in overtime. Two floaters and then an offensive rebound when it kind of carried him right to him when he was diving to the rim. That was a huge um, factor for Atlanta. And the Hawks also held the Raptors to four points in the first four minutes – of the overtime period so they're up up three in control once again and the Hawks down uh sorry the Hawks got sort of kept that control for most of the way Trey blew by Coloco in, on a switch uh for a layup to go up by three with like 30 seconds to go a good foul actually by Griffin kind of in the same way that Collins did early on um might have been a clean block even I thought potentially couldn't even not even been a foul on Griffin but they got they put Coloco on the line he misses one out of two and the Hawks have a two-point lead and 13 seconds left with the ball and there you're just putting the game away. In fact, they got it to Trey wisely. He made both, and the Hawks shot by four with 11.6 to go. So it should be over at that point, at least close to it. But unfortunately, it was not. Um, Murray goes for a steal on the inbounds pass, doesn't get it. And they, you know, again, this is not a disaster, up by four. But the Hawks gave up a wide open, totally uncontested, dribbled out, drive down the lane for a dunk to Ananobi. And it happened in like three seconds. So up four, like, yeah, there are worse things. fouling a three-point shooter, allowing a three, whatever. But you wanted to like do something to make them do something there to waste more time. Anyway, an easy dunk. And the Raptors, they couldn't get the ball to Trey again. That was kind of a big thing after the first time they did. Second time, they were not able to get the ball to Trey. And DeAndre Hunter, who actually got to the line a career high 14 times in this game, he was 11 of his first 12. And the last two, he missed both. So the Hawks are up, up by two. That left the door open in a big way for Toronto. And they tried to barrel through it. They got to the line, Ananobi did, tied the game. And if you saw, if you're a Hawks fan by now, I'm sure, even if you were listening to this podcast at the in the middle of the night, or if you missed the game, if you're not on social media or whatever and didn't see the play yet, I definitely want you to go find it at this point. It was a brilliant play by the Hawks, but a tie game, three seconds ago, or four seconds to go, something like that. And they inbounded to Murray. He hits a streaking Trey Young at full speed, which is a key part of that play. And he uh, there was nobody back kind of inexplicably. A.J. Griffin said after the game that he was kind of sneaking back there on his own. That wasn't necessarily part of the design. But basically, there was nobody back there for A.J. Griffin. And Trey wisely, at least figured out, he had, he had enough time to get the ball in the air to A.J. And then the young guy, fortunately, knew to kind of rush the play a little bit and not, not take his time on the finish. Executed perfectly. He makes it. Nate said after the game, that it it's a sort of, play that it, they often run. And I know they have run that kind of late clock play before where the key is, again, getting Trey going downhill at full speed. But it was flawlessly executed. Nate said that as well. They work on it all the time. But that was a play that, like, you have just enough time to do it. It works out perfectly. Trey delivers it on time. Murray had a good sort of quick pass dump off to Trey on the run. And it was perfect. And they walk it off. And they win it. And they escape. And, uh, yeah, kind of a crazy one all the way around. Again, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but they, they could have lost the game regulation very easily on this Scotty Barnes play. The Hawks trail by eight with 2.30 to go, uh, but all that stuff happened and they escaped with the win and it was certainly one of those nights where like, it was on the knife's edge the entire time, but they managed to go, get out of there with a victory. Okay, I talked about all of what transpired. I'm going to have some more analysis and my observations and takeaways from this one as well as the latest on John Collins and more, but first, it word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're looking for a daily fantasy option in the NBA or anything else this year, check out the award-winning app at PrizePix. Picks. PrizePix Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love it, and I know that you will, too. It's so very easy to use. I can vouch for that. I've been playing on PrizePix for quite some time. It's really intuitive to make your experience a whole lot of fun, and it's very, very easy to use in general. All you do is pick two to five players, choose whether they actually have more or less than a certain number of points, rebounds, assists, or any other stat that you're looking for. And at PrizePix, you win up to 25 times the money on any entry that you might have. It's you against the projections. PrizePix offers numbers on sports that you might enjoy. That includes beyond the NBA, which, of course, I do have college basketball, WNBA, NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, soccer, eSports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, cricket, and many more. An entry can be done in just one minute or less. It's that easy and that quick. Prize picks also has safe and fast withdrawals, and they're operating in more than thirty states now, including Georgia as well as Canada. on the PrizePix app or go to pricepicks.com today to sign up and play right now. First time users have a hundred percent instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars with, pro- with promo code Locked On. Do not forget to enter-, enter that promo code Locked On at sign up for the instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars. It's one hundred percent instant deposit match up to one hundred dollars if you use that promo code Locked On. Check it out now at PrizePix. All right, and as far as the takeaways from the game are concerned in terms of the way the Hawks played, I thought this was definitely a defense-first win for Atlanta on the whole. The offense was not fantastic, but it wasn't disastrous either. They had a 111 offensive rating. That's acceptable against this Toronto team, although it went up a lot in the fourth time, in the fourth quarter in overtime. It was pretty rough before that. They did shoot very well on twos. They're 58% on twos in this game. They had 72 points in the paint. That's a sky-high number for this Hawks team, even with the extra five minutes of play. But they continue to not make jump, jump shots in this game. There were 7.23 from three. Sorry, 7.25 from three. That is still an issue. That's still not enough attempts, not enough makes, not enough accuracy, not enough spacing, all those things. I've been talking about it quite a bit. I did a podcast with Ben Ladner on Friday. We talked about that quite a bit on that show. I'm not going to dwell on it a lot on this show. There's too much to talk about. But the Hawks in this game were 16 of 53 from outside of four feet. That is brutal. Like that is really, really bad. And to win a game like that, I guess on the bright side, to win a game when you do that is a positive. But uh, they have to fix it on some level. So I've been talking about it a ton. Again, I want to plug that that show one more time with Ben. It's like 55 minutes of, talk, of Hawks talk from Friday. It's still very relevant at this point in time. So please listen to that one in your spare time. But that was a uh, you know another topic there. And uh, one that we could probably dwell on a lot tonight. I'm not going to do that for now. Um, they got to the line 32 times, though. That's a positive. Uh, again, I mentioned before, Hunter had a career high in, in attempts, and the Hawks, if they do that, more often than not, they'll be in good shape. They did have 15 turnovers, but only 10, sorry, 10 in the first half, only five in the last 29 minutes. That's a good, good performance in the second half after a rough one in the first. Defensively, they were awesome tonight, honestly. They weren't flawless by any means. Um, they were definitely helped by Toronto missing a lot of shots. The Raptors were eight of 37 from three. So um, after the Celtics kind of went crazy on them on Wednesday, and uh, you know I talked about that before the game, like the Hawks were probably due for some shooting luck going against them. The Raptors missed a bunch of shots in this game. Now they weren't like great shots necessarily, but the Hawks got a little bit fortunate there, but they did well on the margins as well. Only 22 free attempts allowed. That's a good number. They forced 14 turnovers. That's a pretty good number as well. They did okay on the glass. Even with some challenges with Clint Capella having to switch out on the perimeter makes it difficult on them. And it's still a problem whenever Clint is off the floor, the rebounding is a real, real problem. But even with a small lineup, because of Capella anchoring and some gang stuff at, at the end, rebounding-wise, they were able to uh, get enough rebounds in this one to avoid total disaster. As for the players... Um, Interesting kind of mix here. The starters were good. The bench was generally not in this game. The three guys who played the least were Justin Holiday, Aaron Holiday, and Jalen Johnson. I thought, as I mentioned before, I thought Jalen and Aaron were both very bad um, in the first half. By the way, neither attempted a shot. That's not great, necessarily. Um, Aaron Holiday probably shouldn't attempt a ton of shots with, with his playing style. But he had a turnover, a couple of just like boneheaded plays, and then defensively wasn't his best self either. Jalen was just a little bit lost defensively, had a turnover on offense. No rebounds in five minutes is also a question, is also a problem for him. He's got a rebound. He's going to be out there. So I don't want to go crazy about that. But they were not good in the first half, which led to Justin playing. I mentioned it before, but he had five points in seven minutes, did take five shots. He was definitely eager to get some shots up. Um, I think the Hawks, in fact, I'm pretty confident now, the Hawks are encouraging him to take some shots that I don't necessarily love. I think they just want his gravity to kind of play up. I think he's a totally fine three point shooter, despite Hawks fans uh, hating him at this point in time in large ways. But uh, he is a capable defender, a decent enough shooter. He's not great by any means, but I, I was OK with him going Justin at that point, especially because of the way that the, that the other two guys played Aaron and Jalen in the first half. But those guys were not great on the whole. And then Akongwu wasn't his best self either. 19 minutes, three points, four rebounds. Um, didn't have a steal or block or an assist, or just kind of empty stat line. Always took two shots. He was just kind of quiet. He wasn't bad, but rebounding wise, it's not always great. And then defensively didn't have the same impact that he sometimes has around the rim. And then the one guy who was good off the bench was Eddie Griffin. And a lot of that was playing with the starters. Like they had him out there with the starters in the third quarter when he was the first sub. And then he played the entirety of when Collins fell out, which was like the last nine minutes of the game. So I think he probably played. Roughly half his men's with starters, or at least most of the starting lineup, and that definitely helped him, but he, he was good. 17 points. 15 shots is a lot, actually, for him. I don't, I don't mind that at all, but he was definitely aggressive. He was uh, only uh, 106 from three, which is usually his calling card, but he was 7 of 9 on twos. He's been really good in Florida range. You know, Griffin, I think he's going to cool off at some point because, like, no one shoots as good as he has so far in floaters, but he's been very good and very crafty and very poised. That's something Nate's been saying in post-games and even pre-games and stuff is that AJ plays kind of beyond his years. I definitely agree with that. He's under control in a way that most 19-year-olds are not. Again, like, this is maybe a product of being an NBA player's son, but he's definitely in total control on offense. Uh, One assist, one steal, one block. He was active enough, I think, defensively. It is not particularly good, I have to say. He had a couple of nice possessions, though. There was one in uh, in the overtime period where he really stuck to Ananobi in a encouraging way. It's the off-ball stuff a lot of the time, and they also had a couple possessions in the second half where Toronto like pretty actively targeted him, and they probably should. He's a rookie. I'm not worried about AJ's defense long-term right now, but at the moment, he is a negative, I think, defensively, um, but you know, by 19-year-old rookie standards, it's not like a disaster, which is probably a positive in a lot of ways, but I said this during the game. I'll say it again now for anyone who's not following me on Twitter. But I am usually pretty anti-rookie. I think rookies are generally pretty bad. And I say that it's one of the things I always kind of lean on. AJ's not bad. Like, AJ's playing well. He's not maybe playing as well as some people think that he is. I think there's like a movement now to have him start and stuff like that. That's a little bit too aggressive. But he is really good. I really enjoy AJ. I love that draft pick. Said as much on draft night, I had him in my top 10 in the class. Like, it's going very well. Like, at the very least, I know I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to pour cold water. I'm really not. He's, he's playing extremely, extremely well for a 19-year-old who's a rookie playing his 15th, 16th game in the league. Like, it's, uh, it's going very well, let's just say. Okay, to the starters. Kind of a mixed bag, but everybody, again, the numbers were all good when they all played. So Hunter led the team in minutes with 45. It's because he had to play the four in, in the second half. Um, it was a tale of two halves for Hunter. He was 7 in the first half, and he was 5-7 in the second half. And, again, a career-high 14 free throw attempts made 11 of them. That's good enough. Unfortunately, the two that he missed were two big shots that almost cost him the game, but he was able to uh, navigate that at the end. 22 points, five rebounds, only one assist. The passing really is uh, not good. Four hundred. he had one situation where he got to the line actually on this play, but it was a two-on-one where he so very clearly needed to drop it off to Capella for what would have been a, a wide open dunk, and instead he went right through the defender, got fouled, Made free throws, but certainly has to pass that ball. That's one example. Three turnovers, one assist. Um, He he was—he actually had the worst plus-minus in the starting lineup. That's probably fitting. I think he's probably the worst player on this night of those five guys, even with 22 points. But, you know, he was better in the second half for sure. Played fine defensively. Did his job. Um, But it was definitely a rough start for DeAndre in the first half. John Collins was quite an offense. Only had nine points in 34 minutes, but had 11 rebounds, four assists, and a steal. Um, I think John has been playing fantastic defense this year. I know, and we'll get back to this in a second. We'll talk about his trade, talk about his trade stuff at the end of the show. But because of his lack of scoring, I think in particular, and shot making, um, there's been a movement that he's like struggling. Like He's not playing his best ball on offense, on offense this season by any means. He's still helping them win. Pretty obviously, he was plus 10 in this game. His net rating for the season is definitely better than the Hawks net rating is as a a whole. They've been better with him on the floor than when I'm off the floor all year long. And this has been his best defensive season, clearly, so far. Like, I think he's a genuine positive defensively at this point. And I know nobody cares because the offense. And look, I talked about this with Ben on the show on Friday. His offensive role is muddled. They need to get more out of him. I'm not saying he's playing well on offense by his standards. He's definitely not. Um, he made a three in this game. That's that's good. It was good to see. I have, have one go down. He's been struggling so badly with his jump shot. But they got to run stuff more for him. He's got to be more aggressive on his own. This is not a problem that's unfixable, but the offensive fit is a challenge, and I think that's part of the calculus here. But again, broadly speaking, he is definitely helping them win. Defensively, he's been really, really good so far, and uh, he is a big reason. Uh, I, I would say he is the either second or third biggest reason why they are um, much better defensively this year. They're in the top 10, as I speak right now, defensively Capella is number one on that list. He's their best defender. He's their anchor. He's been awesome. We'll get to him in a second, but Collins has been really good. Like between it's basically between Collins and having the impact now of having Murray as a, as a habit creator. Those are the number two and three reasons in some order about the Hawks defensive improvement. Uh, And yeah, we'll just kind of leave it there for now. I promise we'll have more on that in the future, but there you go. Speaking of Capella, he was awesome in this game, man. 18 points, 14 rebounds, uh, three blocks on um, 13 shots. That's also very efficient for Capella. He's been finishing around the rim. He dunked twice in a row and like had the stanchion like rocking. He was bringing it um, energy wise. He was flying around. Defensively, he was just brilliant, walling off the rim, switching out on, on the guys, being effective even against Ananobi and Barnes in space. Um, you yeah, know, he was just brilliant. I mean, Capella has been. I think he had kind of a slow start in the last, like first, like four or five games, and ever since then he's been basically a top six, seven center in the league. He's been really, really good. I know I'm always talking about how good Clint was, but Nate talked about it after the game. He was preaching about his defensive impact in this one. It's very obvious on tape if you watch him rebounding wise, everything. Clint was awesome in this game. Murray was just okay, 17 points on 18 shots, not exactly efficient. Seven rebounds, four assists, two steals. He was. It was like a C game for him, just average. Um, Nothing terribly bad. He was good at habit creating as always. He had two steals. He was uh, in passing lanes. Probably a little bit too overeager at times, but I thought Murray played just fine. And then Trey Young had a good bounce back here. You know, Trey was so bad against the the Raptors the first time. 10 turnovers, couldn't get anything going. He talked about it after the game tonight, how he was so bad that first game. But 33 points, 12 assists, speaks for itself. But he was also very efficient in a way that Trey has not been this year. Uh, He was 9 of 17 on twos. That's much better than it's been. Two of four on threes. That's a line nine times. Um, only two turnovers. Like it was a across the board, a very good game for Trey. Defensively, hit and miss as always, but he made a couple of nice plays, sticking his nose in there a little bit more than he has. He was better on, on that end of the floor tonight than he was on Wednesday against Boston. So it was good to see Trey have a step forward game. Again, I've said this a number of times. I'm not worried at all about Trey. I never have been, but he's not played to his standard this year. And I think tonight was up to his standard and more. He was really good. In this game which is nice okay so from there the hawks played well obviously in this one we'll have some final thoughts about the look ahead at the end of the podcast but um generally speaking was it a performance that you want to send to the naismith memorial hall of fame no uh the hawks should have won the game by more they should have played better than they did on offense in particular And I still have some concerns about the offense. Again, one more time, I talked about that. A lot of that stuff with Ben on Friday, and that all still stands. about Shot profile and that stuff. They didn't play well on offense for the most part in this game. But a little bit more from Trey was good. And the Hawks were able to escape with a win, which kind of all that matters. You know, 10-6, and I tweeted this today, but like half of the NBA, literally, it has six losses or seven losses or eight losses. There's a giant bunch in the middle. The Hawks are part of that, but they're 10-6 and right now. And uh, as I look at the standings live on the podcast, because I'm sure they're uh, going to be updating as I speak, um, the Hawks are still third right now in the East. Uh, and, and they're still a half game ahead of Cleveland and a half game ahead of Indiana. Uh, Indiana won tonight by one. But I'm, 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 let's just say I'm not worried about Indiana compared to Atlanta. So yes, Boston and Milwaukee are in a tier of their own right now at one and two, but the Hawks are right there and third in the East. And it's not always been pretty, but they are playing well at this point and doing what they have to do overall. And again, most of that, is the defense being better? I know it's a little bit of a strange world after the last couple of years. You have the defense kind of carrying the offense a little bit. That was the case tonight once again. It's been the case all year long. They've been better defensively than offensively. It's very weird, but it's been the reality so far. All right, last topic on the show. This is gonna be a long one as I look at the as I look at the clock. We're already quite long here, but it's okay. Um, first, I actually touched on this a little bit on my newly launched Patreon, but I have no idea how I'm going to use it. But I've been uh, I've, people have been asking me to do this for a long time. I'm not charging. People can pledge if they want to on my Patreon, but it's just another outlet for me to have in the uh, wake of Twitter, maybe dying, all that fun stuff. So I touched on a list a little bit there. Maybe I'll, that's where I'll use it for, to have the stuff that's not quite emergency podcast worthy. But on Friday morning, Sarania put out a report. It was sort of one of his inside past columns. It was headlined by John Collins nationally. Um, and it said basically the Hawks, quote, have opened up preliminary trade discussions, end quote, around John Collins. I'll say this. It's been happening for two and a half, three years at this point. So I'm not really sure how you open up preliminary trade discussions of a guy who's been available for all that time. Make no mistake. He's been available. I know there's like one corner of fans. that are like, wait, he's not, this is just the same thing again. He's not, he's never been available. Like this is all media creation. That's not true. Like as someone I've never wanted Collins to be traded. I like Collins a lot. It's not a media creation. He has been available and they've been in trade talks with John Collins for a long, long time in different ways. Basically every summer, Every, every deadline, he's been available for three years. But this is all a little bit weird because there's not a lot new in this report. That's my kind of spoiler alert going into all of this stuff. He did report that the Suns have some interest in Collins. That's a new-ish kind of thing. But he also hedged that immediately by saying that they, quote, appear uninclined, end quote, to take on Collins' long-term money. That is because of Phoenix's tax concerns. You know, there's been this talk about Collins uh, being overpaid I've talked about this a lot. He's actually not overpaid. I know it's a lot of money, um, but he's basically making 18% of the cap this year, and he's a top 80 to 100 player in the league. That's a totally fine contract. I know it's a lot of money, but the cap is going up, folks. People are, that you might think are not worth $20 million a year, $25 million, million a year are going to be making that. The mid-level exception is going to be like $17 million a year in a couple of years. It's like you got to have some recalibration about what guys are actually making. Anyway, if I have to, if, By the way, somebody asked me this the other day, would I choose overpaid or underpaid if I had only those two options for John Collins? And I would say he's underpaid on those two options. Now, I'm not saying he's it's some great value. And I, I did say this a lot. The Hawks could have negotiated and probably should have negotiated harder with Collins and got him to sign for less because he didn't have a lot of leverage when he signed. But that deal was totally fine. It's a positive value contract. Anyway, um, Shams also reported in a video appearance later in the day that the Jazz have, quote, made an inquiry in recent weeks and months. So... That phrase is not something that I'm enjoying. shem has been using it a lot right now. Um, it's kind of it's just so vague. But in fact, in that writing, he used it for Jay Crowder, and the Hawks having interest there. I talked about Jay Crowder quite a bit in like training camp about this stuff when it came out, and he's still been saying you know the Hawks have been talking to the Suns in recent weeks and months. That could have been over the summer. That applies to that. I think there's not really a lot new in my what I've been able to dig up in the last couple of days. Like I think this is pretty stagnant on the Crowder front. I think it's pretty stagnant on the, on the Collins front. Is there a deal potentially for Collins to go to Phoenix? Maybe. I think it's definitely plausible. If you're the Suns, you probably want John Collins. Like John Collins would help you win. Um, he's better than what they have. Uh, there's no, there's no question in my mind. John Collins is a better player than Jay Crowder. I think John Collins is a better player than Cam Johnson, who is currently hurt for the, for the Suns. And he's more of a hybrid for like more of a three, four, whereas Collins is more of a four and a half. But you know, if you're, if you're the Suns, sure you would want John Collins. Um, I wouldn't be eager to trade Collins for Jay Crowder and whatever else, but I understand the thinking on that. I'm not saying Collins is untradeable by any means, but what I am saying is like, this is not really new. I think he's been available. If you thought that they were going to pull him off the market based on this season, that's not happening. I'll tell you that. And, you know, for instance, like Utah being rumored to have interest in Collins is not a surprise. Like Danny Ainge is like Collins for a while, dating back to Boston, but they're in a weird situation. The jazz are like, they're kind of, they were supposed to be tearing down and now they're playing well, but they also have Warren Markinen who's playing great this year, but it's a small sample size. Like it's kind of a give and take there on the jazz. So who knows, but you know, I think right now, generally speaking, my holding, I'm in hold mode when it comes to Collins. I don't think that he's going to be traded anytime soon. Even within that reporting from Shams, he said the Hawks don't have an imminent deal in place and executives around the league believe a potential deal will be weeks and potentially months in the making ahead of the deadline in February. So like, you know, it's just what it is. It's one of those things that like got a lot of attention on a Friday morning. I think Collins is available, but do I expect a trade anytime soon? No. And uh, to this point, I swear to you, I've I've yet to see what I would describe as a deal that is conceivable to me when it comes to like actual value that makes the Hawks better in the short term. Now, are there deals that the Hawks can make that would make them maybe better long-term potentially if they want to go out and get picks or whatever, but all indications are the Hawks want to win now. And like, trading John Collins for Jay Crowder in a first-round pick, Jay Crowder plus Filler, by the way, Dario Saric or whatever, doesn't make you better. It just it it doesn't like if if you want to restock the restock the picks, maybe sure. But like Collins is better than Jay Crowder. It just that's just what it is. So we'll have more on that in the future if we need to. But my stance is kind of unchanged. And for the most part, I'm not picking on Shams right now in terms of the reporting. But if you go through it all and I did kind of just do that for you in, in, in short terms, and I'm kind of trained to read this stuff between the lines and ask. Nothing's really new here. The Hawks have made him available. The Suns might have some interest. Uh, the Jazz might have some interest. I'm sure other teams will be calling as well. But to this point, the Hawks have been unwilling to lower their trade price for John Collins. And unless they do that, they might be uh, hanging on to him once again. He and, he and Miles Turner can, du- can sort of duke it out for the le- for the last possible guy who will, who will be traded on that contract. And Miles is now a free agent, so it might be Collins at the end of all this stuff. All right, that'll be it for today. One brief look ahead here to the Hawks' next game on the agenda, as I'm not going to have a podcast between now and then, barring an emergency. The Hawks play in Cleveland on Monday. That is a very, very interesting basketball game. So the Cavs are, let's just say, not playing well right now. Uh, They did win their last game, which was nice, but they had lost, I think, five in a row before that, maybe six in a row. Yeah, five in a row before that, and now they've lost uh, Kevin Love to a thumb fracture um, so that's a, it's a challenge. You're going on the road. The Cavs I do have a point, have a point differential. It's that's, that's quite good. The combination of Garland and Mitchell and Mobley and Allen is pretty scary. I've kind of always thought the Hawks and Cavs were closer together than some people do. I think generally consensus is the Cavs are better than the Hawks nationally. I don't want really to see that as my thought at this point in time, but there you go. And of note, it's actually a back-to-back for Cleveland. Now, it's a no-travel home back-to-back for the Cavs, but they play on Sunday against Miami, and then they play Monday against the Hawks in the same venue. It's an early game, by the way, 7 o'clock tip, so keep uh, keep an eye on that if you are a Hawks fan trying to not miss the tip off of that one. But really interesting challenge for Atlanta going on the road, and they come right back at home. And uh, by the way, Wednesday is the Kevin Herter return game. On the night before Thanksgiving, that'll be a weird crowd, I'm sure, because, uh, you know, holidays and all that stuff. But the Kings come to town on Wednesday, so we'll have more on that in the future as well. So interesting week coming up for the Hawks. But Monday is a good road test for Atlanta against a competent, very solid Cleveland team. And uh, the Hawks will have, at least barring crazy injuries, the Hawks will be uh, either not favored or at least not favored by a lot in that game in Cleveland. So we'll come back to that. Later on, follow me on Twitter for the latest. Hopefully Twitter still exists at that point in time at BT Roland. Follow the show on Twitter at Lots on Hawks. And I do beg you, encourage you, however you want to say that, to subscribe to the podcast across podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, TuneIn Radio, all those places. It's definitely better for the show if you subscribe across the board. I do have that Patreon page as well if you want to go check that out. And uh, it's still unlocked for all at this point in time. And again, I have no idea what I'm going to do with it, but I did write something briefly on Friday. Maybe I'll have my writing fingers get back in the mix. And I also write for Diamond if you're Rocks. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I write nationally at Dime. I uh, write for Sportsline as well on the uh, sports, fantasy, gambling side, all that fun stuff. So thanks for listening to the podcast, everybody. I really do appreciate all of the support. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. And I'll be back again after the game on Monday evening.